welcome to the Screamcast episode 114. I am Sean DeRager, and with me is Brad Henderson. Hey, Sean. What's up, man? How's it? How's it? How's it hanging? It's hanging. It's hanging all right. A little bit to the right. Oh man, that's such an old joke. I knew you were going to make that. That's the reason why I asked that question. Well, you're you're asking it so lame. I was like, I just got to go to the old standby. I guess so. This is the lamest opening we've done so far. No, I'm pretty sure it gets. <laughs> I mean, it probably is because it just gets worse and worse each time. Yeah, we gotta so. stop. Uh, BJ, Makes total sense. Uh, BJ's not feeling well. She uh, took the night off. Ooh, I should have too. <clears throat> I know. Than just be me talking about what's on my doorstep. Very awkwardly. Uh, little updates, uh, some bullshit to talk about real quick. We do have all of our podcasts up on the, our YouTube channel. Ooh. Uh, YouTubes. YouTubes are on the YouTubes. I officially got them all up there. Some of you like to listen on YouTube, which is fine. Uh, it's great. You know, um, I have an antidote with uh, with the YouTube thing. I'll, I'll get it in just a second because I actually stumbled across I can't wait. some podcasts uh, on YouTube. But um, anyway, so they're there. And then I experimented with a couple of bullshit things uh, of actual video to kind of uh, test the waters and see what uh, people want to see. And apparently me showing off shit seems to be the popular thing. So, yeah, man. I mean, I, I think I think what it is, though, is, you know, I don't want to, you know, because we, we said YouTube like we've laughed and well, stuff. Well, yeah, I've been it, an asshole. It's, it's Well, <laughs> I mean, to be fair, I mean, it's still funny. And I mean, almost we're to the point where we're making fun of ourselves. Um, however, like, you know, if that's kind of what the horror community wants, then we're going to do it. Because, I mean, obviously, we've like curated this and have switched it up to please the audience and our listeners. Yeah. Like, well, you know, I'll, it's not like we fucking listen to this show. I can barely stand to listen to two fucking minutes <laughs> of this show. So it's definitely not for us. you know, um, you don't, you don't just sit back and just listen to yourself every single day. Dude, I can't. Like, I, I, I used to listen to him, but then I was like, God damn, I sound so stupid. I, I, I don't anymore either. Cause I'm like, I think we got it. And then, you know, hey, if we if we majorly <laughs> fucked up, I guess it's out there. Someone will let hey. us know. <laughs> well, the thing is, is like, you know, I mean, some of these pod and not to knock it at all, because I think it's great. But some of these podcasts are well produced and they sound great. And it's like, I don't know. I, I kind of want to put the realism behind everything and make it a little more, you know, us than some like, you know, corporate conglomerate thing that's yeah. just like well i don't i don't have the time to sexy anything up anyway right so. <laughs> right no and and that's what i that's why i enjoy about it because if we fucking prepped and shit like some of these podcasts do i would be like nah this is a job man i don't have time for this <laughs> i just want to watch movies write down some thoughts yep and then stumble through it on the show there we go and man. sound like an idiot that's yep. what i want to do and for some reason everyone keeps on listening but uh so the youtube stuff we're kind of treading the waters through there i i kind of i want to make it something more you know something cool like something a little, a little bit different i mean it's still i mean youtube is basically i i have always used it to research things and to get to and, and learn about things um i want to use it to kind of show off the oddities in my collection like the, some of these box sets that are out of print and things like that things that i really like because that's what i'll use it for like the what's on your doorstep thing 
uh, video version, you know, and if there's anything cool that I've gotten, I'll, sh- I'll show off. And that's probably what I'll start off doing. I tried something with my kids. I don't, I don't know if they're totally for it. I got to find a spin on that because they did not cooperate. It's I mean, a good idea. It's a, it's a good idea and it's funny. So, so, I mean, obviously people, if they haven't watched, Sean has, it's truly a great idea is to show, um, a child which this turns out to be Sean's kids, a, you know, cover art poster of a film. And for them to kind of guess what that, you know, based off that cover, what the film's about or what happens. Mm -hmm. And it's really good. But the problem is though, is your kids know you. So automatically they're going to say death, murder, (laughs) you know? Yeah. Well, I mean, this would work great. Like if this was like, you know, kids say the darnest thing I shit know. yeah you know where we just had like random kids would be like hey what's this look like you know <laughs> we'll figure it out it'll be fun and then brad's brad you're you're working up some ideas or I mean, it's, it's just we're gonna bullshit around with it and see what's is fun and i think that's the things that stick are just you know i enjoy watching people have fun with stuff so um we'll see and if you guys you know yeah we'll see it doesn't matter like i'm i don't at this point i don't care like i'm just i'm just having fun and messing around it's something for me to do I have a super busy schedule, so I really can't, you know, spend all my time on this stuff. But if it's uh, some, you know, something I'll, I'll post real quick, I'll put it up there. Uh, every week we'll get the shows put up on there as an option for everyone to listen. So, I mean, it, it, it's fine. It's just another avenue. Um, so, but let's, let's, uh, let's dive into, uh, what's on our doorstep though. Holy cow, I almost forgot. We'll get the door. Pizza. Damn, you just jumped right into it. I know. I well, thought we were going to talk more, but I, we, we are. We, we are because I because I'm continuing the YouTube thing because the first the first thing I want to talk about is so. So remember when we were talking about Stranger Things and I was like, man, I want to play Dungeons and Dragons with those kids. Because it was so entertaining watching them all play. Well, I've never played Dungeons and Dragons because when I grew up, it was uh, my parents believed that I would probably get possessed by a demon or something. Like they basically thought I was like a Ouija board. I don't know. Uh, so I never it's played Dungeons and Dragons. Ouija. Ouija. I pronounced Ouija. I don't know. I'm just being a nerd. Jack off. Um, so go ahead with your du- yeah. Go ahead. <laughs> yeah, go ahead, Jack off. <laughs> so so, uh, and I never got into Dungeons and Dragons at all, which is weird because it's right up my alley. Like it's something that I can't believe I never ju- jumped into. I just never had anyone playing any games. I never got wrapped up into it. I huge uh, on video like video game RPGs, like the Final Fantasy games, and then there's there's a couple there's like Neverwinter Nights, I think, video game Baldur's Gate. Things like that on the computer and and everything. So Skyrim, of course, the, all those. But um, I was like trying. I'm trying to brainstorm and get these kids off the TV because they're just watching too much TV and playing too much video games on the weekends. They turn into these little zombies. So I bought the Dungeons and Dragons uh, Fifth Edition Starter Kit, and this thing's like to someone who's never played like this type of role playing. Like it's almost insanely daunting so i've been on youtube like the past three days <laughs> researching how to start game like how to play and and how to be a dungeon master and all that kind of stuff so 
doing all this research just to play a stupid game with my kids, I stumbled across like a couple like Dungeons and Dragons like podcasts who they had their podcast up on YouTube. So that's what I was going to say, like using YouTube, maybe people stumble across, you know, our bullshit. Wait a second. So there's a podcast about Dungeons and Dragons. There's a bunch. All right. Explain the concept to me. Well, I mean, the one that I found was like a how to like, here's, as a dungeon master, here's how what I do to prepare for a game. Because if you're the dungeon master, you control the whole game. You're controlling the whole experience. You've either made up the story or you're guiding the your friends who are playing, who are the characters, guiding them through the experience through the game. So you, the dungeon master has to like prep everything, like the map and knowing what monsters are going to appear and having all the books available with all the information. Like you're running the show. So I was just trying to figure out how the hell to do this. And with me and my kids, it's, it's going to be pretty simple because I'm, we're just going to wing it, you know, but these guys, like, like they, it sounds a lot like the show. Just winging it. Yeah. This sounds a lot like our show. Yeah. I'm going to treat like, Dungeons and Dragons. We're treat supposed Dungeons to prep, but we actually don't. We just wing it. <laughs> exactly. And that's how I'll approach Dungeons and Dragons. But I mean, it's crazy. Like this thing is, I mean, I'm sure our listeners out there, a lot of you have played Dungeons and Dragons and know a lot more than we do. But uh, I've been immersing myself in this, and it's it's cool, man. I, I if 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 I would have done this in high school and, and college, it would have probably eaten me alive. Like I would have probably been hardcore because uh, it goes from like just pen and paper and maybe a a map to like these guys have these table size maps, uh, grids that they can that they've like have they have like well this is my desert landscape and this is my greenery landscape and this is my mountain landscape and then they draw like where the rivers or where the borders and houses are and then some of them have like actual houses and trees and miniature figures and all this stuff it's ridiculous it's like it's this thing that can like really consume you so i'm trying to keep it on the cheap but um but i've been doing a lot of youtube stuff and i'm i'm getting i'm almost feel like like overwhelmed. So we'll see. I'm going to play with my kids this weekend. Yeah. Good luck. But, uh, any of you who listen, who are into Dungeons and Dragons, hit me up with pointers, please. Uh, cheap hacks, like printable miniature figures and stuff like that. So we can make little characters. I don't know. But, uh, the way my personality is like, I can go full, uh, full hog on this and, uh, get overwhelmed fast. All of a sudden, all like, we, I've lost my need. job and, you know. <laughs> yeah. So that was the first thing uh, that right on my doorstep has been consuming me this past uh, this past few days. But um, how about movie-wise? Movie-wise, sure, movie-wise. Sure people want to listen. Oh, yeah, that's right. It's a movie podcast. Well, you know, this, there's a lot of crossover. A lot of horror fans are role-playing game fans. And uh, so. Okay. Let me know if you are so I can, like show Sean that I don't think that's true. I think it's true because uh, I know Kevin Spencer for sure. He's going to start playing with his kid. So fuck off, Brad. All right. <laughs> <laughs> uh, the first thing I want to talk about is Ash versus Evil Dead. John Portanova had this as his disc of the week uh, last week. And I grabbed the Best Buy Steelbook. It's sexy as hell. So I started watching it. I'm only three episodes in, and so far I'm really loving it. 
I, I've heard some mixed reactions on it. I've heard people complaining about the CGI. All that stuff doesn't really, I don't really mind all that too much because number one, because it's a TV show. So I know there's going to be a little bit of, of a limited budget, but it's just Bruce Campbell in the role of Ash is just so goddamn fun. Like I, he's, it fits him like a glove. He's jumped right back into the role. He's just this pompous, arrogant old fart now. <laughs> Uh, still living in a, in a, living in a trailer, working at some bullshit store. Um, he's kept around his khakis and his blue shirt and his chainsaw. And I just, I love it for that. That is just, just kind of goes for it. And it's ridiculous and outrageous. And there's some fantastic gore and moments. Um, so far they're playing up the comedy of it, which I'm fine with. I mean, you know, I feel like it's a cross between Evil Dead 2 and Army of Darkness in tone. So they're kind of juggling those two tones so far, but uh, I'm a huge fan. I can't wait. To, I can't wait to finish it out, and uh, I'll, I'll report back once I finish the whole thing. But um, it's a lot of fun. Have you watched it at all yet? Um, I actually had this conversation with John Portanova today. Um, as I've probably said on the show, I'm not that big of a fan of Evil Dead. Like I enjoy the first film for the most part. But I'm not a fan of Evil Dead 2 or Army of Darkness. Wow. That said, they do probably pay a revisit because it's been a long, long, long time since I've seen them. <laughs> I mean, I would say since like probably my early, early teens. But they didn't, they didn't grab me then. Um, so. That said, I have not watched the television show, but I will say a lot of these horror television shows that are coming out, I've been giving, aside from American Horror Story, because it's a bunch of bullshit. Um, <laughs> yeah, I never, and, I never, never hooked and, me. And Walking Dead, because I couldn't get that one. Dead. I gave that one one season, and that was it. But I tell you what, I don't know if I've ever talked about this, but the From Dusk Till Dawn TV show is so fucking good. Oh, yeah, I've been meaning to check that out. Yeah, it is, it's ridiculous ridiculously good the first i haven't got to the second season yet but the first season is top notch it starts off like before they actually get to the titty twister so going going over kind of the whole thing of you know earl mcgraw like getting all his shit together um you know they actually show the robbery that happens that you know the kidnappy and it's basically the first the first uh you know, a few episodes is them building up, getting into like you know uh, Benny's uh, Benny's world of liquor and and everything like that. It's just they just extend the scenes pretty much. Uh, at, at, at times, they almost go play by play of what um, what the original movie is. Obviously, they start in that kind of like in season like four or five, I guess. They start hmm. picking up because then we're into the beginning of the film, and then we're on the road. Um, but it just, it's, it's really, really good. It's a lot of fun. Um, the characters that they picked for Seth and Richie, Richie Gecko are fucking great. Um, I I mean, everything fucking, you know, um, uh, oh shit, I'm an idiot. I forgot his name. Don Johnson does the best Earl McGraw ever, uh, other than, you know, Michael Parks, which he was great too. But (laughs) if you had to pick somebody other than Michael Parks, you know, Don Johnson's probably the way to go. Nice. Um, so, um, it, it's really good. I gave the Scream TV show a chance. The first few episodes did it for me, even though it's like MTV and it's a little like teeny boppy. It's actually decent. 
it's not bad. Um, you know, they do a different spin on it. It takes a little while for it to get going. Um, but I think it's, it's stronger. It's, it's, uh, than, than most people think. Um, I think what kind of hurts them is that it's MTV and kids. Hmm. Like the, the, the kids that they have, because there are a lot of, lot, like a lot of teeny bopper, a lot of teeny boppers. Um, so, and it's funny cause, uh, if you follow us on Twitter, I use the screencast as the TV show to respond to people's tweets <laughs> when they ask the Dude. screencast questions. Oh my God, man. And it's so that funny shit. when people take us seriously. <laughs> They're like, no, it's not you. I think the best one was when <laughs> I went back and forth cause they were like, it's not you. It's a TV show. And I was like, we don't have a TV show. We have a podcast. And they were like, no, like a TV show, like on TV. And I was like, wait, are you telling me my podcast is on TV? <laughs> just fucking with them. I mean, it's it's just all in good fun. You're an ass, um, Brad. Yeah, I know. Um, but but some of these horror TV shows, like I know I haven't dove into Scream Queens yet, but I know that's pretty popular. So I, I don't know, man. I kind of I, I kind of dig it for the most part because I, I'm going to watch that slasher TV show that came out mm-hmm. too. Um, but I don't know, man, I, I'm not too big on TV, so it takes a lot. And the whole thing with stranger things got me going again. And I'm like, you know, I've always pretty much been anti TV, uh, for the most part, not saying no, don't watch it, but it just, for me, it's just not for me, but some of these horror television shows have, I got me, um, kind of got me hooked. Yeah, it's good. I mean, I'm, it's hard for me really to get invested in, in TV. Um, I'll always start something and then we'll, I mean, it, my wife and I seem to go through game. We go through Game of Thrones. But that's the show like we're hooked on, and we'll always kind of binge that. But other than that, it's it's hard for us really to get into a TV show. Like I'm trying to get into Black Flags right now. Whenever I am on the like treadmill or, or something or Black Black Flags Black Flag uh, Black Sales. Um, and so far it's okay. You know, what, what is that show about? P- uh, pirates and shit. No. <laughs> yeah, I because I, I, I mean, it, I, but it's not get, full on like arg pirate. It's building a story, but so far it's they they it's it's on stars. I think it's on stars, right? Or it's Showtime. Know. But they do the thing where HBO it's all it's like let's introduce this character, but she's a hot lesbian, and we're gonna have her introductory scene with her hot lesbian lover. Oh my god! And they're gonna be totally doing it. It's Congratulations! Like, you just made me pass on that television show. <laughs> That's how they, they'll they'll do stuff like that. So far, uh, kind of like what was that? Um, like the the movies there, the show Spartacus. Uh, how they kind of it was like they're trying too hard. Like Game of Thrones does that too, where it's just like really like, do we really have to have this conversation with with two women like, you know, having having oral sex or you know like does that have to happen? Like, yeah, you know. Yes, it does, Sean. I mean, you know, there's a time and a place for that stuff, but sometimes well, it's, it's yeah. If it too opens up much. a show, they're just trying to get trying to get viewers. It's yeah, it's totally pandering to male viewership or or female viewership, but it's, but so we'll we'll see. I'm still gonna I'm gonna give that a shot, but um, but like that kind of stuff is like it's just annoying because it's like this could this type of conversation could happen anywhere but here, but it's just it's pandering is what it is. It's not necessarily really character development because you can develop that if the character is a lesbian 
uh, or gay or whatever, you can develop that. You don't have to be so, you know, I don't know. It's a little bit obnoxious when they, uh, kind of force that stuff. But yeah, it's the same thing as like, didn't walking dead open like that shit. Like, uh, Shane, like, wouldn't she like get pounded in the woods or some shit? I don't remember. I mean, the first, yeah. I mean, the first episode of Walking Dead was really good, but but stuff like that, like you can introduce a character without being that explicit, like because it it's for just me a, like it's just a way to get viewers. Man. For me, like like sex and stuff like that, I I appreciate when it's used as more character development. And Game of Thrones, like there or are porno, <laughs> and porno. Game of Thrones, there are instances of that with it actually being character development, like you couldn't really um, portray that character or, uh, or, or develop that plot point without showing that you had to. But um, I, I think, I think I just think it's more creative. Like it's not pandering to just get views from, you know, 16 to 17 year old boys who, uh, you know, jerk off and then they keep watching the show. You know what I mean? It sounds like something Come I would watch. What is this show called? Um, so what, wait, so what else, did, what, what were you talking about? How did we get on this subject? I don't freaking know. Um, what's on your doorstep, Sean? Let's keep on. That's what, so that's what we're doing, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, this isn't horror, but I watched The Nice Guys and it's fucking awesome. R-rated comedy done right. It's great. Um, Shane Black, what else do Shane you expect? Shane Black, man. I mean, it, of course it takes place in Christmas. Yeah. And, uh. Of it's fantastic. Ryan Gosling, Russell Crowe. Long kiss, good night. They're all fucking Christmas. Yeah. I mean, I, I laughed out loud a lot during this, during this flick. And uh, that rarely happens with, with a lot of comedies. Um, but this is another example of good writing, like not being raunchy for raunchy's sake. Like it all had a purpose and it was, it's, it's funny. It's worth checking out. Does Iron Man 3 take place during Christmas? Yep. There you go. Fucking Shane Black and Christmas, dude. He loves it. I do too, though. I love the atmosphere. I love movies around Christmas time, yeah. whether they're comedy, horror, action. I don't know. It's something just about that atmosphere that I really enjoy. Yeah. So. I think, I think that's it, man. I'm a little, uh, oh, oh shit. Oh, I gotta mention this. I broke open the Battles Without Honor and Humanity set. And I watched the first film in this series. Why would you just watch the first film and then talk about it, not the whole thing? Well, I need to finish, but I want to me- I I want to mention it. That uh, oh. I mean, it's it's it, there are sequels, like right? I mean, I don't know. Yeah, but, yeah. It's what I wanted to mention was papers, but yeah, yeah. What I, what I wanted to mention real quick about because I want to finish the series and then give a full roundup about it. But I feel like there's like a sense of chaos in this film that I don't don't think I've seen. In a lot of films, I wonder if it's a Japanese, uh, yep. uh, Japanese thing, but it's just it's it's just like well executed chaos. It's amazing, and you don't. It's it's almost like you feel like maybe they just turned the camera on and told everyone to go crazy. But there's so much going on, um, amongst all the the violence and and the crazy stuff going on, on screen. It's it was it, I don't know. It was it was awesome. Something I haven't seen very often. Um, I've seen in some Japanese films, but I feel like in this sense, uh, is pretty incredible. So I need to finish this, uh, this series up. Well, the first one's battles without honor and humanity. Yeah. And then what's the next one in the set? Uh, then it's Hiroshima death match, 
Then proxy Hiroshima, war. Sean, come on. Hiroshima. Uh, police tactics is <laughs> the really fucking good one. That's well, that's the fourth one, and there's a final episode. Yeah, police police tactics is the shit. Yep. Yeah. So there's the so many is, characters, man. They're juggling so many characters, but with um with with these with these films, though, I mean, especially with um Jap- Japanese cinema in like the 70s and 80s. I mean, even into like the late 60s, they are one of a kind. It's mm-hmm. crazy. Like you know, even like today, they don't make films like they used to back back then. No. So it's uh it's quite bizarre um watching some of these movies um cuz I remember picking up uh like the Yakuza papers and and stuff like that when I was younger uh and kind of got kind of got into that um which that's what you know Battles Without Honor and Humanity is the Yakuza papers if anybody knows right. so if you watched the Yakuza papers back in the day that's to and then two, three, four, and five are all the Yakuza papers. Um, so I bought like a Yakuza papers box set back in Best Buy uh, when I was when I was younger, and I kind of dove into these movies. And I'm just like holding my head, like even as a young kid, is like I don't understand half of this, but there's something so intriguing about these characters and stories. And when I got older, they become like kind of second nature of, of watching these um uh these these Japanese uh films because then I got more and more into it then I kind of understood it mm-hmm. uh a little bit more as uh I was older and I don't know man it's it's nothing like you would see I mean even Japanese cinema today and Korean cinema and a totally different playing field for most movies I feel like they're way more like they're super polished and but there's there's like a just a chaotic nature that I saw in Battles Without Honor and Humanity that I haven't seen, and I think it's when was that was that done in the seventies or eighties? These were all very, done in early seventies. Okay, it was very specific. I think because I'm trying to think of other like kind of Japanese films that I've seen that kind of had that. I mean, I mean it goes. I mean, there's like Seven Samurai and that type of filmmaking had a little bit of that but this with the whole yakuza thing and and the violence and and just the crowds like it's just a whole other level that i haven't seen a whole lot of and i haven't watched it's like i love japanese cinema but i but i feel like i haven't watched i still haven't watched a whole lot like there's still so much that i haven't seen you know well um i will say the uh the films by you know because the, the the director of the yakuza papers um, well, I guess we call it Battles Without Honor and Humanity yeah, right. now. But, uh, what's his name? Fuka, 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 Fuka I'm gonna fuck it all up if I even say it. Fuka Sakaku? I think, uh, I think it's, uh, I think it's okay. Yeah. So anyways, he directed a movie called, um, I actually contacted Arrow and I was like, dude, if you're gonna do this, then you need to do this too. Um, it's called Sympathy for the Underdog. It's also known as uh, Gamblers in Okinawa. And it's by the same director. Um, I remember getting this because I was going through my phase trying to get my hands on every like Japanese film out there. And um, I got this on Netflix. 
And I didn't know, like, the year and stuff. I popped it in, and I thought it was a modern movie. <laughs> and I was like, man, this movie looks so good. And then I realized it was, like, 1971. What wow. the fuck? Like, maybe 90s, but good lord. Um, but it's just so, like... I don't know. They're timeless. That's that's the, mm-hmm. that's the whole key to these is that no matter you know when you're watching them, they feel so like new and fresh. But not um, the Godzilla but, movies. Those are stuck in the seven. The ones in the seventies, yeah. you know, they're in the seventies. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, I mean, that, that, that's that's one. I, but it's a different caliber of filmmaking. It, it's just that when they deal with the Kuza, they get super serious. I mean, even films like you know Stray Cat Rock. And, you know, the, the new Scorpion, uh, female prisoner movies, they're all the same way. They're very, very serious. Um, and they're out there. Um, I, I think, you know, kind of battles without honor and humanity and, you know, gamblers in Okinawa, that's a little bit different. Um, other than maybe, you know, Stray Cat Rock and female prisoner, cause it's a diff- different caliber of cinema. But I mean, everything that the Japanese has done, um, uh, Koreans, they're on a totally different playing field other than like any other country. Yeah. You know, they're, they're action films, they're dramas. Um, it, they can do an action movie with minimal action and it's still action packed to me. Yeah. Like it's still more like edge of your seat type, type shit. I mean, even if you want to do the Americanized John Woo, um, you know, I guess Americanized John Woo's Mission Impossible Three, but if he, even his stuff. <laughs> no like, Mission Impossible you know, Two. Yeah. Uh, oh, yeah. That's right. I don't. I don't really care for J.J. Abrams is three. Uh, okay. You're, you you could be the Mission Impossible guru. I, don't, I can't tell one from the other, and I just know De Palma did the first one, and that was my favorite. Yeah. Um. So, but what was I saying? Since you interrupted me, what was I saying? John Woo uh, action. Oh, yeah, yeah. I mean, even John Woo action films, you know, uh, like The Killer and uh, Better Tomorrow, um, Hard Boiled. I mean, those action sequences and those movies are phenomenal. Like, they're so fucking good. Um, You know, the setup, the choreography, um, you know, not even so much the characters. It's just it's just like camera movements, uh, you know, color schemes, just everything in these films just blend perfectly together. Um, and it's, it's a shame that they're not kind of represented or spoke about more. And luckily arrows going through and they're doing, you know, gangster outlaw and, you know, this set, um, you know, they did stray cat rocks. So they're definitely bringing, you know, they even had like retaliation, um, earlier. What was the other one that they did? Uh, because I think I enjoyed Retaliation. I didn't, oh, uh, Massacre Gun? Yeah, yeah. I think Massacre Gun is the one I didn't like. I kind of liked Retaliation. Um, but even those films, like, they're just not focused on enough. So it's nice to have Arrow uh, not focused solely on horror or action or anything like that. They kind of want to do everything. Well, I was going to say, like, between Criterion and Arrow, I got my Yakuza stuff covered, then I got my Samurai stuff covered. Yeah. So keep it up. So, I mean, I'll, I, I welcome those two genres, like, Keep keep that up. Well, I've I've messaged them about sympathy for the underdog a few times, um, and I was like, "There's nothing nothing out there like it. It's definitely in my like top 100. Cool. It's it's really fucking good. So you'll enjoy the rest of those because they just get better. Uh, I will actually. I think final episode is a little weak, and Proxy War is, if I remember, is a little 
they're, they're the weaker ones, but they're not bad by any means. Okay. Yeah, I'm excited to, to carve out some time and, and, uh, and watch these. I'll, I'll, uh, I'll probably get, you know, get to, get, get through it through the next month here. I'll, I'll be done with them. Yeah. And then I need, then I need to start the, uh, the Criterion Zatoichi set. Yeah, those movies come and go. Like, there's so many fucking Zatoichi movies. <laughs> it's crazy. That the box it's, set's ridiculous. Yeah, but I mean, even that, there's more films outside that box set. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Like, there's fucking probably like 30 Zatoichi movies. And yeah. I'd say a really good one, aside from the goofy CGI, is the one that Beat Takeshi did. Oh, yeah, that's, that's solid, man. I like that one. Yeah, that's that's a really, really good action movie, and Beat Takeshi did a fucking phenomenal job as being, you know, Zatoichi. Yeah, be great. And, mm-hmm. You know, that's another thing. His movies need to be uh, revisited. I mean, if we can get some Sonatine on, on Blu-ray. Oh, dude. You know, he, he's he's got some... He's he, he's a hard hitter, too, man. He's he great, man. Around. Everything he's in, I'll give it a shot. He's, he's in so many... He's so intimidating, dude. <laughs> yeah. Well, Battle Royale, I think, was the first time I actually really saw, like, noticed him. Yeah. Because he's in that, right? He plays the teacher. Yeah. Well, he yeah, he's like the announcer in the room and stuff. That's oh, a perfect man. role for him because he's he's he really is he, he's terrifying. Yeah. And just, you know that he because he he has a blank look. Yeah. He doesn't yeah. Show emotion. Yeah. There, there's a scene know? at the end, like when he just walks in, he just pops the kid, like he just shoots somebody, and he it's just like no big deal, no big thing. I just killed a kid, but the, his look, the look on his face is chilling because it's, there's no emotion conveyed whatsoever. It's just the stone cold, you know, uh, just, I don't know, man. It's, yeah, it's, he's, no, I, he's I think great. the same, he does the same thing like in Sonatine. He yeah. like shoots somebody in the head and then there's just a sequence where he stands there for like 30 seconds just looking at the body and then just walks away. <laughs> Ridiculous. Like man. it's, uh, it's insane, but I guarantee you Battle Royale wasn't the first thing you've seen him in. Oh, well, probably not, but it was the first time I think I took note. I'm like, who the fuck is that guy? I need to look him a up. A lot of people, even my parents have watched Beat Takeshi before. Do you know what he did? What? Like, that was Americanized? He was one of the hosts of the oh, Japanese TV yes. show that yes. we made fun of, MXC. Yes. Like, that's a real TV show that <laughs> wasn't funny, but we Americanized it and, like, dubbed over their... You know, oh my god, that's the one they do those obstacle courses, right? Yeah, and Beat Takeshi is the ho- one of the hosts in that yes. show. That's incredible. Yeah. So. Yeah. All right, man. Uh, what's on your your doorstep? You got anything? I've been rambling. Um, it's all right. We that's every show, so <laughs> there's like no different. Um, I have a few things. Um, I got around to watching uh another horror anthology. <laughs> My God, uh, but this one wasn't that bad. <laughs> I, I, I texted you about it. I was really scared at first because when this shit starts off, it says a radical horror anthology. Like <laughs> it's the dark tapes, a radical horror anthology. And right then and there, if you're the filmmaker, I love you for making this movie because you did a good job. But my God, that fucking threw me for a loop. I'm like, no, I'm not watching this. I'm not watching anything that says radical. I laughed so um, hard when he texted when he texted me that. Uh, but anyways, I was like, you know what? I like horror anthologies. It's a found footage anthology, so it's take kind of taking the VHS thing, which I was never that big of a fan of VHS. I mean, I like some of the segments, so I was like, I want to see, you know, this. I will tell you um, that for a horror anthology found footage movie that's independent like this, they did a pretty cool job. 
Um, the first segment um, is a little goofy, but it is a surprise. Uh, I think it's a cool little story. Um, uh, the, the second segment is fun. Um, the kind of the story that's wrapping around everything is, is pretty cool. The special effects in this, in this, uh, in this film, all, you know, all these shorts, uh, and it, I mean, they're, they're all by the filmmakers. It's not like a, you know, compilation of found footage shorts. Um, they did just a really good job, uh, filmmaking wise and special effect wise, uh, editing is really good. Um, I could deal without the, like the screeching, like, tracking sound noises that shit when shit happens like that just hurts people's ears people like just cut it out like stop doing that vhs the viral did that so Mm. much where it was just so loud like loud noise of like changing tapes or static uh going on it was just like come on man and they do that every once in a while and it's kind of jarring it actually takes you out of the movie um, but for the most part, focusing solely on the movie, they did a great job. The, one of the segments where the girl is having, it's so fucking creepy and it's so fucking good. And I'll, I'll kind of focus on that one alone. So there's this girl that is having, she's visited by these creatures at night and they abduct her. So she like runs away and she's like, you know, she is like on a phone call and like sends video messages to her friends saying, you know, this has been happening. I found out a way to get around it because when they enter the realm or whatever, like lights go out, electricity goes out. So she can't catch them on video. She can't take pictures of them. You know, she kind of goes cold because like she freezes up because they have like control of her. And they like take her. Um, so she has the bright idea to do it on like an eight millimeter camera. So it's not running off. Uh, no, not eight millimeter camera. What kind of camera is it? But anyways, it's a camera that doesn't involve batteries. So part of the found footage looks like old film. I'm not sure if they filmed it on old film. That'd be super cool. I, I couldn't really tell because I was watching a, you know, a digital copy. Um, eh, on my, like, you know, on my television, it was kind of small too. Cause they, sometimes when you watch some of these, you plug in your HDMI on your computer to watch it on the big screen. It doesn't look all that great. So That's I couldn't really use, tell. You got to use a uh, Vimeo and you got to do the watch later thing and use Vimeo on your TV or Xbox. I do that, but this is not on Vimeo. Oh, so I was out of luck on that one. I think. Maybe it, maybe it was. I, I don't remember. I, either near or there. <laughs> so anyways, um, like it's super creepy because the special effects on these creatures is fucking great. It's got like the, you know, really gritty, you know, look to it. It's got the like cranking sound. Um, but all around a decent horror anthology found footage. Uh, two things that are kind of overplayed to the fucking brim these days. But something came out that was, uh, you know, decent and watchable and likable and, you know, bravo to the filmmakers for making something tolerable these days to a, uh, genre, subgenre that is so saturated with bullshit. Um, hopefully people recognize your movie when it comes out and not just goes, falls to the wayside like everything else. Um, 
I got around to watching uh, Art Sportation's new film since we were talking about their bunker on the show. I got around to watching Observance. Um, fun? Question mark. Um, a decent kind of spin of Hitchcockian rear window. Um, this guy who recently loses his family is hired as a private investigator to watch this woman. He's takes place in a, he seeks a uh, kind of refuge in a, like a, a abandoned apart, apartment across from her apartment, monitoring her from this, you know, client that wants to keep tabs on her. Um, but the client isn't very, you know, up front with him showing, you know, talking to him or introducing himself. So it's always kind of fishy of what's happening. Um, can't really talk too much about it because it will give stuff away. So it's, uh, it's horror. It, it reminds me of the ring a little bit too, like cinematography wise, like the gritty, grimy, uh, slimy stuff that happens in the ring. A very, very similar, uh, some great imagery, um, some great cinematography there. Um, a fun, decent, you know, horror psychological thriller. Um, next up, I got around to watching violent shit, the movie, which we talked about with, uh, Nico B, uh, on the show, uh, his new lineup, real war releasing. He's got this one out. Then he's got, um, mass, which I'm super excited about for the world to see. Cause that I'm a big out, fan of the movie. Uh, next week, next week. Super excited about it. It's a. Uh, it, I know it's going to get some slack. I know it will. I know. I know people aren't going to like it. I know. <laughs> and it's fine if you don't like it. It's not made for you. It's made for hardcore Giallo fans. Um, and you know, like hardcore, you know, horror fans. If you don't like it, you don't have to say I'm a hardcore horror fan. I didn't like it. That's fine. It's still not made for you. You know, it, it's it's a special like kind of caliber of film that's uh you know that's kind of out there. The same thing with Barbarian Sound Studio. A lot of people didn't like that. It's fine. It's okay. That movie kicks ass too. Um, there's something about Giallo films that's super special, and you know, uh, they're very very well made. They the colors represent things. The the music's a big part of it. Um, you know, masks is kind of Suspiria like the plot. Um, however, it's not a remake of Suspiria, which everybody's like, oh, this is like a wannabe remake of Suspiria. No, not really. Um, just because it takes place like at a, you know, a theater doesn't mean it's Suspiria. Um, but I got around, we're talking about violent shit. So I got around to watching the, now I was under the interpretation in the last episode with Nico. That this was, he was releasing violent shit, the original movie, but this is actually a remake, um, which I was not prepared for. I heard it was kind of GLOS, Claudio Savinetti did the soundtrack, so I was pumped. Um, this movie is not for me. <laughs> um, however, I think with big C grade movie fans, there is something there. Um, I think really, I think the people that like really trashy C cinema um, will love this movie. Um, however, as I told Nico, like I was excited about it, but I'm also on the fence with stuff like that 
you know, sometimes this stuff appeals to me, like, you know, the Murder Set Pieces movie, um, you know, August Underground, you know, Mordorm and stuff. Those movies are not for me. I can safely say this movie is not for me. Um, <laughs> violent shit is in that group of those movies that are not for me. So um, w- w- what wasn't for you? I mean, was it uh, was it this exploitation violent thing? No, or did it not, I don't or did mind. Not I don't mind. Like what? What happened? I don't mind that. It's it's like shoestring budget type things that I think that people watch these movies and enjoy them. For the brutality, uh, for the over-the-top gore, and kind of the realism factor that lays behind it. How it feels real because it looks real, you know, as far as like being so independent, like a home movie. I think that's the appeal to these movies. Violent Mm -hmm. shit has all of that. What violent shit doesn't have is, you know, good actors, (laughs) a good screenplay, um, and... You know, it's just, I don't know. It seems like something, I watched a lot of low budget, low, low budget movies in the eighties. Um, you know, I, I was in, you know, of course living in the nineties when I was watching them in the eighties, but I'm saying eighties, eighties cinema. This is what it reminds me of. It reminds me of really cheap C grade eighties cinema. Um, but that's not knocking it. I don't want to knock it. I don't want to talk anybody out of watching it. But I will say this. If you, if you find yourself liking what I like, I don't know if you'll like this. But if you find yourself liking stuff like murder set pieces, you know, August Underground stuff, you know, slaughtered vomit dolls and movies like that, then yes, there is a movie called Slaughter- slaughtered vomit dolls and it's a trilogy. <laughs> a um, trilogy. If you, yeah. If you like those movies, then a hundred percent violent shit should be on your list. A hundred percent. Um, but as if seeing like a remake of violent shit, I don't know, man, I don't really consider this a remake. I consider this more like a re envisioning huh. of a violent shit, which I don't even think I considered a remake. I, I might be speaking out of turn on that one, but, um, you know, it's, it's give it a, give it a shot. Let me know what you think, but I can safely say this movie is not for me. So, but I will be Fair supporting enough. the fuck out of masks um, because I love that movie to death. Did you just fall down? No, I just killed a spider. Why would you kill a spider? Because it was it was crawling down the wall right towards me. But why would you kill a spider? Oh my god, my life was flashing in front of my eyes. But why would you kill a spider? They're really good to have around. This is crawling right at, right at me, Brad. Have you have you seen Arachnophobia? Was it a black widow? No, it's a black house spider, but that's irrelevant. Well, I'll let you safely know. <laughs> Not safely know. I don't know why I said that. But I will tell you that beside my front door, I have a nest of daddy long legs. And I leave them there. <laughs> Every day I look at them as I leave the house. They're actually inside, by the way. They're not outside. Because I don't have the heart to kill spiders, especially daddy long legs that you want to see one bug in our house, bitch, you won't see a fucking fly. You won't see an ant. You won't see anything in our house. A roach, uh, which people are like, oh, God, we have roaches in your house. You're dirty. No, this is fucking Florida. <laughs> roaches are neighbors in Florida. It doesn't mean you're dirty. 
If you don't have roaches, that means you're probably poor because you don't have any food in the house for the roaches mm-hmm. to eat. Um, we have a thing called palmetto bugs. It's kind of terrifying because it's roaches that fly. Um, Holy shit. Are you serious? Yeah, man. They're called palmetto. Look it up. All I remember is I used to, when I used to do, do uh, when I used to tour with, with this band, we always knew we were hitting the south because like our windshield of the bus would just be plastered full of just bugs. Yeah. There's a, dude, there's so many bugs in Florida. It's really nasty because it's like love bugs and shit like that. Dude, there's just millions of them. Um, but, um, yeah, palmetto bugs, dude, they're pretty terrifying cause they're about three times, two to three times the size of a roach, but they have wings and they weigh about like, it feels like a fucking pound when they hit you in the head <laughs> cause they just fly around. But it's terrifying when you see a roach that starts to fly. Um, but yeah, man, I, I refuse to kill those spiders cause number one, I, I'm a big, I can't kill anything. I'm a big softy. I, I I'll take a fly outside. What? Like, yeah, dude. I have not. I'm not Flies into killing. Shit list. See, I'm not. The only thing I can I can kill comfortably is is a wasp because I'm scared to death of getting stung or a bee. I will spray the fuck out of wasp with it. <laughs> That kills their nervous system, and then they are in pain for like an uh-huh. hour before right. they die. So you, you torture these guys, but. I could torture a wasp, but I but can't bring it. But give you an award because you're going to let a spider live and a fly live. Hey, I tell you what. I got. There's probably about six of them out there, and they just stick there the whole day. They got little webs. <laughs> I, I People are like, oh, my God, you're crazy. No, it's like I don't have bugs. And literally, daddy longlegs don't, like, come out in the open. They yeah. stay, like, in their web. They don't yeah. go anywhere. I don't, I don't have bugs either because I pay a guy – to come and spray the shit out of my house. We do. Yeah, we have we have Orkin come out and they spray our house, but that's mostly right. for we're, sweet ants because sweet ants is a huge problem in Florida. We are getting off off track. We are, aren't we? How do we, we get on this? We will be talking to uh, the director of Der Bunker, Nikias Chrysos, very soon. I forgot to say what we were doing today, but uh, we, we need to get to that. So do you have anything else, Brad? Are you done talking about violent shit? Um, I'm done talking about violent shit. You know what? Here's here's my question. How is the soundtrack? Is that, is that at the least the soundtrack good? is really good? It just okay. doesn't fit the movie. <laughs> okay, that's the only because you're like, man, this is a really good soundtrack. Because the set comes with the soundtrack, so yeah, I, I I'm I'm keeping obviously the set. I mean, I think uh, that's one thing I will give Nico B and Real War oh, releasing. It's a gorgeous set, man. It's a a really (laughs) great box art. It has a great, you know, like 25 page booklet. Mm -hmm. It's got the soundtrack, you know, um, you know, the transfer is great. It's got a lot of special features. So it's definitely worth, worth the money. Um, because I I think they're really playing part to kind of the collecting community. Um, so I hope it does well. It's just like I said, it's it's definitely not for me. Well, I'll be watching it soon. I'll I'll weigh in soon because I, I want to do a, a write up on uh, this and masks for the site. So we'll I'll be getting to it. So, but other than that, I mean, watch Class of nineteen ninety nine. <laughs> watch Asylum Blackout. Watch you know Raiders of Atlantis. Okay. <laughs> I mean, I think that's all right. Too. Hey, okay. a cool thing is this Vestron video series is coming. I know, man. Lionsgate owns Class of 1999. I know. I think we're going to hear something soon. 
And they also own Slaughter High. Yep. So, and there are prints of both of those films that are still in existence. It's going to be a good, uh, if, if those aren't announced this year, it's going to be a good 2017. You're, we're going to have a lot of good stuff next year. All right, man. Well, let's get to this interview. Okay. Um, if you haven't seen Durbunker, check out Durbunker. I, mean, I think the bottom line is it's a great it's spoiler film. free episode. It's spoiler it free. Is, no, it is, but I'm telling you right now, just buy this thing. I think it's Arsploitation's <laughs> strongest release yet. It's a great, weird, uh, little movie, and, uh, we, we, we do talk it up in the interview, but, um, but it's, it's like legit. Like we weren't, we weren't praising the film just cause we're talking to the director. Uh, it's a fantastic film. So, uh, make sure you support art, the Arsploitation release so we get more releases like this. Cause I think Arsploitation is onto something with, um, with their, with their lineup. Um, you know, they're one of those labels that deserves, I think, uh, just a little more love. We will be talking to Nikios Chrysos in just a little bit. But first, Josh Obershaw has the news. Josh Obershaw, what's up, man? Hey, how's it going, Sean? Hello, everybody out there. It's going good. We've had a few uh, few things happen, so... Uh, as far as news-related materials, so what's up, man? Well, it's just a little all over the place, but uh, some good stuff nonetheless. Why don't we start with Screen Factory, because we actually got some last-minute news, and this is going to be an update on dreamscape nice that one is going to be coming out on december 13th or planned for december 13th because we know sometimes these things change but that's cool but anyways it's going to be a collector's edition uh the newly commissioned artwork is going to be by paul shipper who did the uh the front art for screen factory's collector's edition of the thing and also mad max and the bonus feature the bonus features are still in progress right now, but uh, Screen Factory says that those are going to be announced sometime in October. So when we get those, we'll pass those over to you guys. And uh, something else we want to update you on, and I know this is one that's that everybody is excited for, especially me, Black Christmas. Yes. And that one is that one is planned. For December 6th, and this is going to be a two-disc collector's edition, and the guy who's going to be doing the art for that is Joel Robinson, who did Texas Chainsaw Massacre 2 from earlier this year, and also he's got artwork for the upcoming Bubba Hotep, and also the bonus features are still in progress for this, and those will also be announced sometime in October. So we'll let you know what those are, and I'll be sure and let let you guys see the artwork on our site soon. Now, we have one other bonus feature for another collector's edition that's coming out very soon, and that's Carrie. They have an interview with composer Pino Dinaggio, who, of course, has done other work like, of course, The Howling is probably the big one people know, but also uh, Dress the Kill. Very, very good stuff. So that's going to be included in all the other Bonus features they got for the 40th anniversary edition of Carrie. And also for their um, original production, Fender Bender, they've announced some bonus features for that. By the way, uh, Fender Bender comes out on Blu-ray and DVD on October 4th. 
But here's a bonus feature that <laughs> uh, I'm really interested in seeing how this is going to play out. It's called a retro V. Uh, it's a retro VHS version of the film <laughs> in which you can watch the film in a recreated mode that takes you back to the 1980s in the heyday of VCRs. Wow. And there's also going to be a slashback trailer reel, which is a collection of vintage uh, Scream Factory branded slasher previews. This runs about uh, 40 minutes. And this movie is like a, a is a new movie, right? Yes. But they're just yes. doing a Yeah, they could be cool or it could be not cool. We'll see. I guess we'll see. How creative they got with the VHS version. Yeah, I know some people are kind of tired of the whole throwback thing, but in this case, I don't know. I'll give it a shot. If it's if it's done well and it's fun, like I still don't mind the grind like for Grindhouse, like I don't uh, I still don't mind that, you know. Um but you know, sometimes they just use like just a, like a filter, you right. know, <laughs> that comes with like uh, just a standard yeah. <laughs> like filter, and it's you know it's the same pattern over and over again. But uh, you know, if if they get creative with it, you know, if it's if it's creative and works oh, sure. with it, I'm I'm totally fine. But yeah, but I'm I'm just I'm not in, interested in the movie at all. Like I just have no desire to see it. So I'll have to wait and see what people start uh, saying about it. Before I make my decision to, uh, and I'm sure if it's a contemporary one, it'll be on streaming on Netflix very soon or their own, uh, they have their own, uh, channel there are there. They have their own app streaming app. So I'll check it out at some point. That's true. Yeah. Fair enough. Okay. Well, that's it for the, uh, screen factory news. Uh, some other random tidbits I want to let you know about, uh, this year's movie lights out is going to be out on Blu-ray on October 25th courtesy of a uh, Warner Brothers home video and the only bonus feature for that is going to be a uh, selection of de- deleted scenes so lights mm-hmm. out comes out October 25th in time for Halloween and uh, next up we told you some time ago that Kino Lorber were going to be putting out the pit well the pit is actually going to be the first title in a new sub label that they're doing called Kino repertory. And it's going to be a, um, just a little sub-label for, I, I guess, uh, classic and cult films. Like some of the other films they're going to be putting out are uh, Philip Kaufman's The Wanderers, which is a, a 1979 game drama based upon Richard Price's first novel. And some other mo- movies like uh, Seven Beauties and Swept Away. I'm sure that is not the uh, the new Swept Away that came out in the early two thousands, but, um, something to look out, something to look out for to see what, uh, what this new little niche label that Kino Lorber's setting up. Next up for some really strange craziness, slime city is coming out on Blu-ray and it's actually going to be paired up with its 2010 sequel slime city massacre. Uh, the label Camp Motion is going to be putting this out, and it's going to be it's going to have a lot of bonus features on it. I mean, it's not only going to have the two movies, but there's also going to be a director commentary, two additional director commentaries, uh, an original trailer, a uh, Grindhouse Collection trailer for Slime City, and uh, some behind the scenes featurettes, and an interview with Slime City Massacre composer. It just says Mars. Uh, I don't know much about the. I don't know much about the sequel. I've never seen the original movie, but I I know even less about the about the sequel. 
but I'm definitely interested in checking this out. I mean, if it's anything like street trash, then I'm automatically in. Cool. And last week we told you guys that the original Dawn of the Dead was getting a 4K restoration. Well, now there's another classic movie that's getting a 4K restoration. And this time it's Henry portrait of a serial killer. Hmm. And it's going to be making its it's going to be making its um, premiere in theaters. It's going to premiere in Chicago on October 15th. They're going to be partnering. Uh, Dark Skies is going to be partnering. Oh, actually, Dark Sky, singular. It's going to be partnering up with the uh, Chicago Film Festival for this whole regalia with a Q&A with star Michael Rooker and director John McNaughton. And it's going to be re-released in 20 cities nationwide on October 21st. So when we get the uh, the exact dates for that, it's going to premiere in New York on the 21st. And then it's going to premiere in uh, Los Angeles one week later on the 28th. And McNaughton is supposed to be at both of those premieres. But as soon as we get uh, uh, more, um, as soon as we get a, li- a list of theaters, we'll let you know when that's coming out. So. I don't know, Sean. What do you think about uh, all these new movie, uh, all these classic movies now getting 4K restorations? Do you think it's directly in response to Phantasm, or is this just a, a happy coincidence for us? Maybe. I mean, I think it depends on the movie. Like Henry Portrait of a Serial Killer, I never upgraded to Blu-ray even, just because it's just so grungy looking, and I just didn't feel the need, I guess, for it to be, you know, necessarily HD, like. You know, it it's so. I mean, it's, I think it was shot in sixteen millimeter. I think. I believe so. Um, so it was so grainy anyway, and it just felt so grungy. I just, you know, I had no desire to really see it in HD. And I heard the HD transfer was was it was okay, but there's you know there's so much grain and everything that it a lot of the stuff that I read about the transfer wasn't that great. I'd be interested in, in hmm. checking it out. It's it's one of those movies that I just have a hard time rewatching. I've seen it once and it's just, you know, that that was enough for me. So, <laughs> but a movie like that like shot on 16 millimeter, 16 millimeter, I don't know if 4K will really do it that much justice. I mean, you know, I guess if it looks it's, still looks like film, I mean, it's not going to be pristine. You know, but I guess as mm-hmm. long as it still retains the film quality uh, of the intended quality, you know, I'd, I'd, I'd check it out. But th- this was a weird one for me to, for a 4K. I was like, oh, okay. <laughs> <laughs> you know. Yeah, I know. It, it just seems a little counterproductive to what the movie is going for. But I mean, I'm I'm all for it, though. I mean, if, I mean, you know, if, if it looks good. If it finds a whole new... Right. If it finds a whole new audience, that would be that. That's definitely a, a benefit of doing something like this. Yeah. Yep. And that's and, and and if that's what it takes for a new generation to find these films, I'm that's that's great. That's perfect. Perfect for me. Cool. Well, another movie that's going to be getting an upgrade for Blu-ray this time, not in theaters. Uh, Dario Argento's Opera. Yeah. And it looks like Scorpion releasing is going to be producing this one with Code Red putting it out. And um, they're predicting that it's going to be a three disc. When I say they, I mean Scorpion releasing. Uh, they've been remastering the movie, and uh, they s- predict that it'll be a th- three disc set and possibly a steel book. So that's all the info we have right now. But we'll probably be getting more of this one soon. So yeah, 
Opera is coming soon. Yeah, that's a weird thing. I mean, I know that uh, Walt and Bill, Walt runs Scorpion, Bill runs Code Red. Um, right. The Olsen twins, as uh, Brad and I have Brad has, <laughs> has said. But they they help each other out in some capacity. Like, I, it's, it's, it's a bit weird. I think Walt's handling the restoration process, and he's mm-hmm. pretty much producing it, but Code Red is going to... Code Red, I guess, owns the rights. So they must have something worked out oh, where Walt's really helping this, you know, get the best release it can get. And because, you know, Bill comes across as kind of, you know, a weirdo and stuff online and everything, but he's not, he's not an, he's not an idiot. Like he knows this is his chance to really, you know, sell some, some movies, sell some Blu-rays. Cause he's always worried about stock and everything and always kind of complaining about things don't sell. Like this one's going to sell. So I th- Definitely. He, he needs to do it right. And it sounds like he there, it sounds like with Walt kind of overlooking this, it's going to be done right. I can, you know, the steel book is hit or miss. If, if, if they can not do the steel book and keep the cost down, I don't want another synapse like 40 to $50 release, you know, those things were yeah. were tough for me to swing and to to get the demons set and even Tenebrae. I already owned the oh, I already owned the Arrow one, so I didn't feel like I needed to get the full. You know, spend forty bucks. I've already I've already spent twenty bucks on that movie. So, but the <laughs> opera I don't own, so maybe I would spend that much. But you know, if I you know, steel books are okay. Uh, the hardcore collectors like them. I just want the movie and the special features. So if they can trim off ten bucks. Out of my, you know, if I can save ten bucks and it's a standard case, I'm good with that. It's just case. I want the movie, <laughs> but uh, this yeah, sounds, man, the this, movie. This sounds like a good. Like this is going to be a good, a good release. And the the remaster, it, it, the person handling the remaster has handled a lot of other companies like Screen Factory and things like that. So they know they they have the right people doing the right work. So I'm excited for exactly. it. Exactly. So am I. And finally, we got a little sneak peek at what Vinegar Syndrome is going to be putting out in the near future. And it's going to be three movies starring none other than Linnea Quigley. Mm-hmm. And those movies are Nightmare Sisters, Deadly Embrace, and Murder Weapon. And these are all, of course, directed by David DeCocteau. I hope I'm saying that right. <laughs> This is the guy who directed Sorority Babes in the Slimeball Bolorama. That, with that, everyone goes, oh, okay, that guy, okay. <laughs> What's interesting is that two of these movies, uh, Nightmare Sisters is directed by Dekatu, but the other two movies are under a pseudonym, Ellen Cabot. I just thought that was really, really interesting when I was looking these up. But anyways, that's um, apparently... Quote, they're approved. Uh, he quote approved the beautifully restored and color corrected camera negative 2K scan. So they're all going to be in 2K. And um, it says they're coming this Halloween. So it looks like uh, we'll be getting those in the near future. When we get more news on that, we'll let you know. So it looks like that's going to be it for this week, Sean. What do you think? Awesome, man. Some good stuff. I'm excited about it. A lot of good totally. things to look forward to. We're we're basically we're all gonna be broke in October. We're gonna have to make some tough choices, I think. Uh we're gonna be broke from now until the <laughs> end of the year. I know. 
It's uh, it's, it's not going to stop with Halloween. It's good. It's going to be. It's getting to be tough to be a collector, uh, just because there's so much good stuff. So I've I've felt the pinch. I've had to make the hard uh, choices on like, am I going to buy this movie or not? Um, you know, so if it's going to happen in the next few years, this is kind of ramping up, I think, and uh, we're, we're all going to be in the same boat. So choose wisely, everyone. Agreed. All right. All right, Josh. Or at least drown your or at least drown your sorrows. <laughs> whatever works for you. Right. Yeah. Or you know, hey, go for that raise. Yep. Yep. Push harder for that. <laughs> there you go. All right, Josh. Thanks, man. We'll we'll talk to you next week. Not a problem. See you guys next week. This year's biggest surprises for me was the film Der Bunker, directed by Nikias Chrysos. And uh, it's out on Blu-ray right now by Artsploitation Films. And I absolutely adored the film. And uh, we actually have Nikias on uh, the Skype with us right now. Hi, how are you? <laughs> good, good. Nice to be here. Yeah. Um, man, I... I had heard about this film because I think Brad had talked about it uh, a couple times before I had mentioned it. and Yeah, I saw it at uh, Fantastic Fest That's right, in yeah. 2015, so. So I've been, yeah, I've been hearing about this thing for, for a year, and I finally got to see it. And this thing was, it, the film was such a pleasant surprise, I think, um, that I, I'm hoping this is one of our exploitations. Um, I hope this is a hit for them. I really, I, I know a lot of people have been talking about it, and now that it's out, um for everyone to see, everyone's been excited about it. So um, I just wanted to, to thank you up front for this movie, man. I, I really, really loved it. Thank you. It makes me really happy to hear that. <laughs> yeah, I, I dug it quite a bit when I saw it at uh, Fantastic, Fest, uh, Fantastic Fest. Eric Bressler, uh, who works for our exploitation, he was like, you know, you got to see your bunker, the bunker, the bunker. And I was like, all right, whatever. <laughs> <laughs> so I went. It's just it's fucking weird, man. And that's that's the type of shit I wanted to see, you know. And and Fantastic Fest does play a lot of weird, you know, art, you know, artsy fartsy type thing. And and this just appealed to me in every every which way. Mainly because you know that the, uh, one of the the lead was in uh, Your Samurai, which uh, oh yes, which we yeah. really really loved. And um, you know, so I was happy to see him return. But man, it's just it's just so quirky and weird. And I mean, I really hope if, if you like weird and quirky cinema, I mean, this is definitely something that should be on everybody's radar. <laughs> so, so my, my first question is, you know, how fucked up are you? And how, <laughs> you know, Very how, how'd you come up with this, you know, their bunker? I, I, you know? I wrote it uh, in the uh, institution, how do you call it, like the mental asylum, you know, it was uh, <laughs> the task, a task to let me out, you know, was to do some creative work, show that you were capable of returning to society, and then uh, I came up with this. No, um, I, um, I mean, it's not uh, autobiographic, 
thank God, um, uh, because the story is about uh, education and the pressure of family life, you could say, and uh, there's a lot of uh, spanking involved. Um, so I'm happy that I wasn't brought up that way. But um, at the time I, I wrote the story, um, I just felt uh, very free in a way, you know, to deal with kind of all these different themes and the different strange characters and what happens when they come all, uh, when they all come together in this uh, weird environment. And I was also playing, you know, with different kind of genres, you know, I never really said, okay, this will be a comedy, this will be strictly a horror movie or mm -hmm. something like, like that. But I tried to let it grow organically. And in that way, I felt very free and it was fun to just play around with these uh, different elements. Yeah, I mean, I, that's what I, I guess I love the most about it was the fact that it wasn't, you couldn't just pigeonhole it into a genre. It was definitely inspired mm. by different genre, but, um, I just, it, it just, it kind of skirted kind of all the, you know, uh, the sidelines of, of, of all these different genres and blended them all together. I mean, the quirky sense of humor is there, but it's not, it, it and it all exists, I guess, organically in this, in this world. It's, it's not like bubblegum pop or mm -hmm. slapstick or anything like that. Yeah. Mm -hmm. You know, it, it reminds me a lot of like at, like Adam Riskin uh, shit that he did like in the '90s and everything like that. It's just it's, it, it fits, but it's just it is kind of jarring. But it's just it's almost like situational as well. Mm -hmm. You know, it's uh, it, it's it's clever. It's uh, that's what it is. Um, <clears throat> I just I just had a question. All of a sudden, like I I my I'm sorry, brain, Sean. I derailed brain. the conversation. No, 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 no. My, no, no. my apologies. No, no, no. no. <laughs> What um, what did you draw from any inspirations in particular with the film, or did you just kind of write this and let it kind of take its own, you know, turn? Um, like, how, how did you approach, I guess, the writing of it? I think there are different elements. Like one was, I I was interested in doing like a one set movie, you know, a one location movie in a way. Um, so I I had to think of my my grandparents. They had a like a holiday home in Switzerland. And they had this kind of basement, which was kind of a bunker. I think it was built in the 50s or 60s. So it was still the time of the Cold War. And for whatever reason, I think in Switzerland, you've always built like a kind of bunker. Hmm. Uh, I mean, in the end, they stored their, you know, the skiing equipment there and all this stuff. You know, it, it was never used uh, in any situation like that. But I thought it would be fun if you have a character who's... Um, renting a nice room somewhere in quiet in nature and he basically gets locked into the basement and um, so I had the idea of this location and I had the idea of the character and then I was thinking okay what does he encounter on the way maybe he meets like a mysterious hitchhiker or maybe he meets this kind of strange couple like a hillbilly couple or something and then I thought oh what's uh, what if this uh, couple has a son and that was <laughs> the birth of Klaus in a way <laughs> And, um, yeah, I was always quite interested in the topic of education because I think it's very crucial how we are brought up. And I think it tells us a lot about society, you know, what kind of pressure we put our children on our children or how free we let them grow up. And that somehow came with this topic of the family. And, um, suddenly all these elements were there and I just mixed them and, uh, started to develop the story. <laughs> So as far as the education thing, um, mm -hmm. the education thing goes, uh, there's a lot of uh, spanking. Yeah, <laughs> so there's a lot of spanking. Yeah. 
with, with the like this the spanking imagery uh, in in the film. I mean, is that representing or you know doing any? Because like, I mean, I, obviously it means something. Um, and being that said that you sense that said the film is you know hot, you know about education. Mm-hmm. Uh, like capital, like not capital punishment. What am I trying to say? The, what they used to do, the corporal punishment. Mm-hmm. So the, mm-hmm. the, the corporal punishment as they, they did in schools, is that like being how the film set? Cause that's the immediately what I thought is, you know, back, back in the day, like, you know, in the, in the fifties and sixties, you know, teachers were allowed to hit, uh, oh, yeah. students yeah. give them spankings and, and, and things like that is anything with corporal punishment that's enforcing education behind that. Yeah, in a way, I mean, I think um, things like these, there are maybe some sort of exaggerated images for uh, a certain kind of education or also a certain kind of drilling that you have, that you can have in, a, in uh, either a family or a school system. And um, I mean, I re- definitely remember friends who were spanked as kids, and I think it does a lot of harm to children. But if you look back, as you say, in the 50s or something, it was considered very normal, you know, or... Let's say my grandmother, she was uh, uh, left-handed and they forced her, you know, to write with the right hand and all these things. So that's things that really uh, changed over time. And I think here it's just a strong image because um, a lot of stuff here ha- happens through physical contact, you know, the, 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 the um, punishment through spanking and the rewards through kind of physical closeness, you know, which is almost, uh, or it's very, very weird, you know, how the mother, I mean, the relationship between the mother and the son, you know, the, so the rewards come through sexual ways, maybe, and yeah, I wanted to play with that, and I remember uh, that I really, like, I mean, I really was not a big fan of being in high school, you know, I think that's probably pretty normal, but uh, I remember that uh, I often thought, oh, why are we, why do we have to learn this stuff, you know, and um, we just learn for some kind of test and afterwards uh, everybody forgets it immediately because you're not really interested in it. And um, so it's also, also kind of a satire maybe on this kind of learning by by heart, you know, uh, mm-hmm. which I guess now is even a bit, I think now it's important to learn about, uh, to reflect about things, but maybe not so much, you know, I mean, it's a big joke that he has to learn the capitals of the world, the son and the family. Uh, but it's not allowed to go uh, outside, you know. It's very, it's kind yeah. of very useless uh, uh, to know all those cities. But he's kind of they, 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 they think, you know, if he knows that, then he's prepared in a way to, to for some kind of political uh, job or something like that, and go out and yeah. So that's another question: is with uh, um, you know just just how comedies are today. And, you know, scripted comedies, you know, they don't feel natural. You know, it, it, it does feel scripted. It, it, it feels, you know, everything is beat by beat is planned, you know, and it's all about timing. How much freedom did you give your actors in this film? Because everything just feels like it flows, like it's actually mm-hmm. them. You know, um, I mean, you came up with maybe the situation, but how much did you just let them improv or kind of do their own thing? Um, we did a lot of uh, improv and we talked a lot about the story before the shoot uh, so, because I was really very early in the process. I knew who should play the roles of the characters and I talked to the actors um, about the roles, about the stories. We came up with bits of dialogue or things that the 
uh, actors could do um, with uh, Daniel Friedman, who plays Klaus. I even went to his uh, old elementary school and we spent a day in class so he could look at like the uh, um, how the children interacted and pick up little things they do for his role. And um, we we read the script together and we we rehearsed and we tried out tried out things. But then in the shoot we didn't improvise so much. There was because of the uh, of the timing there was not so much improvisation in the end. But I think because we had so much time uh, before before we started shooting, I think that. Uh, maybe that's the uh, sense that you get, you know, that there's kind of a good flow between the actors. And I knew, also knew them quite well, so I think that definitely helped. Um, I mean, when I started the, the the project, I thought maybe I just write a kind of... Uh, um, I do an outline of scenes without any dialogue. I completely uh, improvise the dialogue on the set uh, while we shoot, but in the end, yeah, it was kind of a complete script. It works for sure. Yeah. yeah. I mean, that's, and that's what exactly what it feels like, you know, and that's, like I said, there's way too many comedies these days where, you know, everything is cued to, you know, mm. the millisecond, like they know exactly what they're going to do and say, and it just doesn't feel natural. It all feels scripted. And then that, that's why I don't really find comedies all that funny anymore. Um, yeah, you know, true, and yeah. that, that's why this stuff appeals to me. And plus just the weird weirdness of it even amplifies um, all of that. Yeah. I think also maybe it has to do with structure. I think a lot of comedy today, you know, you, you, you know, the kind of structure, the way they set up a story and the heroes in the end, they separate and then they come together for the showdown. And so there are a lot of also things that you can anticipate just by the structure. And, um, sometimes it works if the rest of the story is really original, but sometimes if the, uh, the dialogue or the scenes itself are not very interesting, then, uh, yeah, it makes it even less funny if you easily know where the story is going, I guess. Um, I, I really enjoyed the fact that, um, you know, you got four actors working off each other here and, and I, I love the contained, how the movie is, how is contained the kind of the one, you know, the one location films and things like that. Um, uh, Pitt Bukowski, he plays the student, and um, and I've seen him, like we said, in uh, *Der Samurai*. Uh, mm-hmm. Where did you, where did you, where did you find Daniel Fripan? Fripan? Yeah. Um, where did you find him? Because he's seems like a very interesting, <laughs> could be a character actor, but I don't, you know, he yeah. just did such a great job. Where did you, where, where's, where's he been hiding out? <laughs> yeah, he's been, he's actually been hiding. Um, so we did a short film together uh, a couple of years ago, and um, he usually is kind of typecast for tough characters. Usually, you know, okay. even in my short film, he played like the mean older brother who's kind of messing with his smaller brother, abusing him, you know, sending him around to collect money and stuff like that. And um, but in real life, he's a very funny and lovable guy. And I always thought, oh, it's such a shame. He always plays those tough characters. And um, so when I had the idea for the story, I thought oh, it would be great to work with him and uh, let him play the kid. Because I also, I, I really didn't want, in a way, I didn't want to work with children, with real children. <laughs> because, uh, uh, yeah. I, I, I have three kids. <laughs> you, you don't want to. Yeah, it's fine. <laughs> I guess. So, so you probably know what I'm uh, talking about. <laughs> so I thought, okay, what happens if, uh, if an older actor plays this role? And of course, it also makes it more abstract in a way. And 
um, I met him. I hadn't seen him uh, in a couple of years. Then I said, hey, Danny, um, do, you, do you think you could play a, a kid, an eight-year-old? And he uh, kind of uh, jumped on my lap and hugged me <laughs> and looked at me. And that was our casting. casting. And uh, for me, it was just really a great uh, when we did the costume test. And I saw him in his outfit. I saw him in his pajamas. <laughs> I saw him wearing the wig for the first time and kind of transform into Klaus. And I think he did a really uh, great job. Uh, he's kind of the center figure of the movie. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, the reveal of him to our main character, because we we see him early in the film already, but the reveal of him to, to this <laughs> to student is great where he's... Or, um, is, is just great. And then when he's uh, he's been put out into the... Uh, little not i guess their yard or whatever and he's out there mm. because he's in trouble <laughs> exactly the yeah. way he kinda, yeah. just the body language of him peeking in i mean it was just uh it was it was great and 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 yeah not casting a, a child in the role really i think made it even better just because it's, it's just so much weirder and, exactly it's, yeah. it's it's weird and um you don't really know what what he is, you know, is he an adult playing, like, put in small clothes? Is he, like, really some distorted uh, kid? Uh, is he something else? And I think that uh, there's a weird feeling of uh, easiness, at the, and at the same time, he's kind of cute, I think. Right. So I yeah. think that's, like, a weird... And so for me, it's also just an image uh, in the se- at the same time for someone who's not allowed to grow up uh, naturally or normally, you know, and that's, that's why he became Klaus, I mm-hmm. guess. And then uh, uh, Una von Maydell plays the mother, and then uh, David mm-hmm. Scheller plays the father. Is is Una that tall in real life? Uh, no, she she wears uh, very high <laughs> heels. Uh, um, you know, she has the thing with the leg in the movie, yeah. and we gave her like kind of we found some designer high heel shoes that are really how do you say this clunky or mm-hmm. something like that. You know, they make a lot of sound on the wooden floor, and that's why she. Uh, seems so tall and yeah i mean daniel Friedman is uh, is not very tall mm-hmm. so there's a nice contrast between the two yeah now did you have casting calls for the mother and father with them or did you have them in mind when i had them all in mind uh, okay. with all the the male actors in the movie i i did short films before okay and una i also knew she's also sometimes she's working as an artist and we did a song together for another project so I knew her well, and um, yeah, that really helped imagine the characters. That I could picture them really well, and knew about their little, like the little things they do, and uh, yeah, it just helped imagine them well, them in the roles. Yeah, I mean, this is the type of film that you can pr- even adapt as like a stage. I mean, it feels very stage play, you know, yes, in, a, in a sense. Yeah. Um, and that's what I always worry about with like these single location films. Like a lot of there's a lot of films that get made from a stage play into a film and it's like single location. I mean, I know there's a, um, uh, let's see. Well, there's the movie bug and then, uh, Oh, that was a play. Okay. Yeah. yeah. That was a play. And then, uh, and it, there's just, but the, so those you can always kind of tell they're adapted, but that's, what's great. And that's my, always my fear. I think with a single location film, is it going to feel, you know, um, is that going to be a limit to the film? Yeah. Um, but, uh, but thankfully we've had, I mean, like we've had, 10 Cloverfield Lane, which is pretty much a, a single location movie. It kind of, you know, the the ending, it kind of ditches that and d- does its own thing. Um, and then Der Bunker, uh, example of a great single location film. 
um, was well, was was it based off of just kind of getting a movie done budget, or is this the type of thing you'd want to do again? Yeah, uh, well, I think I would like now to step out of the bunker. I, I think David Scheller, who plays the father, he said, okay, what are we doing next? Like the cell or something, you know, can we get a smaller, you know, uh, or uh, the elevator or something? And the next movie would definitely be uh, bigger in scale, I hope. And um, at, at the same time, there was a couple of reasons. Uh, one was that I really, I had seen some interesting movies shot in one location and I thought it would be interesting to try that out then I um, also definitely for budget reasons because I thought okay that's a movie we can shoot uh, for uh, where we don't need that big of a budget but we have a lot of control about uh, the environment so we are completely independent from anything else and we can just work very creatively um, with our set. Uh, at the same time, that was definitely a challenge. You know, how do we make it interesting if we are stuck in this place for uh, um, 85 minutes or something? How do we make it interesting? How can we work with the lighting? How can we work with the set? And how do we build up atmosphere? And we try to achieve that uh, with uh, different means, like uh, working with different lighting setups for day and night, even though that's not really that motivated, you know, in the underground mansion, but mm -hmm. we still work with it, you know, in the mornings it's less uh, contrast and in the evenings it's like you have more contrast and things like that and also give all the different rooms uh, different colors and different vibes and then in the end make it kind of a bit more nightmarish and all these things. So that was a challenge, but it was I was quite happy because we had a really great uh, production design team and cinematographer and we had like all the equipment we needed and um, so we had all the freedom to create this little world underground. Mm -hmm. Now, as a, as a first time, this is your first feature, correct? Yes, yes. As, as far as, uh, you know, doing your shorts going into, uh, into features, I mean, uh, I mean, a big part of that choosing the one location was to, I mean, was this something that you are, how should I put this? Is that, I mean, obviously the one location is cheaper. Um, mm. you know, as far as that, but, um, as a filmmaker, I, I think choosing, um, one location is, uh, very, very smart if your movie is good, of course, which obviously Debrunker is. So, uh, proving yourself is, uh, I think a big, a big situation. Cause I mean, a lot of people take those shorts, uh, and try to make them into features as one location. We've seen it numerous times and sometimes it just doesn't work. As, mm. a, as a feature length movie. So do, doing this first um, by choice, was that kind of your main goal is to say, hey, I can do one location, I can make it a good movie um, and prove to you that I can do something else. Was that kind of a your intention or was it just, hey, I'm going to do this movie? Um, I, I mean, I, I did, I had at the, Time I had I think two projects and I said okay I will do the project like one was bigger and that was probably the the one that I could do with less money and um, I think that's where we got the money first so uh, that was a bit pragmatical you know uh, in that in that sense but on the other way I found it was uh, it was really cool to do this that way because it gave us a lot of freedom uh, also with the space and with the limited room and um, I think it uh, sometimes it's better to do like to focus on maybe a smaller scale and make it uh try to make it really good than to be 
in that way over ambitious in the proportions and then it looks really cheap because you don't have the budget to do it right or the uh, the screenplay does not carry like what you try try to achieve also so um there there were many reasons to do it, do it like that i think even in the beginning um it wasn't this, the, the the whole place was not really underground even though the movie was always called der bunker but it was more of this kind of fairy tale house in the woods this little house and uh, we we find one place where we shoot everything and uh, only the basement where the student gets put that's that's the bunker but in the end of course we combined all kinds of different locations i think in the end it was a mixture of maybe four different locations that we that we used for the film, even though it just takes place in one one house. Now, for uh, you know, as far as you know, first time filmmaker get, get, getting out there, is there any big influences like as far as American cinema or mm-hmm. you know, German, German cinema? Like uh, as as uh, kind of a newcomer, what 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 inspires you? Not not inspires your bunker, but just yeah. as a filmmaker mm-hmm. in general. What made you want to get into filmmaking? Uh, that's a good question. I think my kind of first memories of uh, cinema, and uh, even as a child, I had, I think, like, for example, King Kong. I have no idea why, but this, uh, you know, the old King Kong, the black and white King Kong, that's some, something that really fascinated me at the time. I probably hadn't even seen the movie, and even as a kid, I had a poster of Casablanca in my room, you know, the movie with Humphrey Bogart, which is definitely not a kid's film. And I think I saw it when I was around eight years old. And of course, I didn't really understand anything of the story. I was just kind of fascinated of this character, I think, of Humphrey Bogart. So they're real, I think, weird associations sometimes uh, uh, when you when you grow up, you know, what, what interests you. And um, later I was watched films like the... Uh, Polanski was in the movie like the Fearless Vampire Killers, I think. That's one of his pretty early uh, films yeah. and uh, stuff like that. So there was a big, I think, love and interest for genre cinema and then later stuff like The Goonies, Nightmare on Elm Street, um, Die Hard, uh, Jackie Chan movies. That was kind of the, the films I liked in my youth. And I think I was fascinated also by horror early because when you're around maybe 11, 12, uh, it's really hard, especially uh, at the time, to get those movies, to get hold of the movies. You know, you have to uh, fake your parents' ideas, idea uh, or uh, somehow and uh, then order, I don't know, a movie like Brain Dead, Brain Dead by Peter Jackson or Evil Dead or something, you know, because they were not so easy to get hold of on VHS. <laughs> at the time and there was always this element of seeing something that you're not really allowed to see yet and all these things so i think horror really uh, fascinated me as a kid and then of course later it was movies from uh, everything from Werner Herzog, Stanley Kubrick, David Lynch, Tarkovsky like a lot of suddenly you start to watch a lot of art house films and something and i think for me it was always important or what i don't like is to make kind of a um you know, that you say there's like a sophisticated, like a art house cinema and other movies, they're like entertainment movies or trash movies, you know, they, they have less worth or something or they're just pulp. I never really liked this difference, which is very easy, I think, in German uh, um, uh, cultural reception, you know, that you say, okay, this is high art and this is just trash or entertainment. And I never, never really liked that, you know. So I, I think for me, something is interesting or appealing or a good movie and, 
yeah, for many different reasons, the film can be a good movie. How how is this? Uh, because this played at I think the uh, Berlin Film Festival. Is that correct? Mm-hmm. Um, how is this received? Because uh, I'm assuming it, it was you know played in a few places in in Europe first before it came over here. Um, how how was it received? I guess in 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 Berlin or in Germany in general. Yeah, it, that was very interesting because <clears throat> when we finished the film, we didn't show it to anybody or almost nobody while we were editing so uh it was very hard to tell us uh, to to tell for us how it would be received and if anybody would like it or if people would just say it, it's weird or, or it even works you know or if people say hey what is this you know who's this who's this guy this alien guy in the pajamas or what's up i mean whatever you know and then i think the first real screening we did was for the team, and that was only one week before the uh, Berlin premiere. So I was really nervous, of course, and I was so relieved that the team really liked it, you know. And that was the first and most important thing for me because they were the ones who had made it possible. They had worked to make this movie happen, and that they liked it was uh, uh, a big relief. And then um, there was the, the, the festival premiere and everything, and you know you have uh, the press screenings before. And the first feedback we got from our press agent was, let's say, confused. You know, <laughs> <laughs> I think the first, uh, really, the first kind of feedback we got was, um, yeah, they don't really know what to make of it. In a way, you know, are you being serious? Do you uh, do you just want to provoke? Do you just want to be silly? Does this film have something to say? Um, we don't really know what 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 this is. You know, and. I remember the night after the premiere, I woke up and I read like a really good review. And, and that was like the first real review I, I read. And I was, so, I was so relieved and happy in a way because I thought, okay, there's one review that really kind of gets what was important to me and that, uh, uh really liked the film. And I, and, uh, I thought, okay, if, if nothing else happens with this film, I always have <laughs> this review, you know. So I, <laughs> If the film is never screened again, I have this review, I can put it on my fridge or whatever. But uh, um, thank God it was not like that. It was uh, really well received. And I think it happened because uh, after that, it went to a lot of different festivals. And later then in the US, we had the premiere at Fantastic Fest and it went to a lot of other festivals. And it kind of, through the festivals, it also built a reputation. So mm-hmm. it came out in uh, German theaters and uh, this year and now out in DVD in Germany as well. And we got a really good press. And I'm pretty happy about that because it's kind of the strange and weird film. But I think especially many people here, uh, many critics, were also happy that something else comes from Germany. You know, normally yeah. you have this kind of history, history dramas or social realistic story or films about uh, Nazi Germany or something, you know, and that there's this kind of colorful uh, film, I think that was also, you know, just seen as doing something different, doing something in the genre direction, but also that's something a bit anarchistic in a way, you know, and um, yeah, I think we are really quite happy with all the feedback we've, yeah. we've gotten so far. Well, I think like the, the, the problem is, I think in even like through this, seeing how movies were put out in the, in the theaters this summer and everything. I mean, it seems like movies, even ones that are supposedly supposed to be more independent are kind of, they kind of go through the ringer of, you know, test screenings and that whole mm-hmm. thing. And I feel like that, that those, 
we've gotten to the point where there's just so many of those that it almost takes the spark and life blood like out of some of these movies, especially if they have a director and a writer who want to try to put their own inject their own voice into these films. Like these films, mm-hmm. kind of like that voice kind of gets slowly edited out. And and mm-hmm. I mean that's more I guess that more in like mainstream Hollywood. But I think that movies like this are so appealing because it's just so out of left field and you can tell this is completely like an, an artist's um, an interpretation of a story. You know what I mean? Like you, this is mm-hmm. a piece of art that is untainted in a way by all these outside forces. So, yeah. I mean, I mean, yeah, because we did, we, we could do it so independently and it was this kind of, let's say a bit, uh, yeah, outrageous premise or whatever, you know, we, we, we knew we had to do it independently but then we did it independently and we had all the freedom, you know, to not try to make it something that it isn't, you know, and just let it be itself in mm-hmm. a way. Because, of course, I think if you make your first feature or even if you make an independent film, now there's also a lot of pressure, you know. I mean, there are now many, uh, at least in the U.S., you know, many indie directors making the jump to uh, mainstream movies uh, very early or after one movie maybe, and which which is great in a way, but it's just a question, you know, what your kind of career path right. is you know do you want to use your first movie you know to get like a bigger job or do you want to uh, keep developing your kind of uh, uh filmic language or okay. whatever so there or do you would try to do both things which is also great of course but um yeah i guess it's just a very competitive market for people uh and that's why they do these tests and test screenings and all these things you know? yeah now as far as uh the german release like um how how wide was the German release in uh, in Germany? It was a it was a small theatrical release, like uh, so it was playing mostly you know in kind of uh, small art house cinemas. But it went to I don't know, it, sure it went all over Germany, like in basically all uh, probably not in every village, but in all medium sized city. You know, at least at some point you could see the film. But it was a small. It's a small release, you know, it didn't play in, let's say, kind of, uh, blockbuster chains or something, you know, and yeah. it, it, it was even hard to get the movie, uh, to find a distributor for the movie because, um, I think the main problem, and I think on the day that the film started, I think there were seven, no, 17 other movies starting on the same day. So it's just really, uh, tough for a movie like this to find like a big audience. And for us, the theatrical release was also mainly, um, almost like a, uh, a press instrument, an instrument to get more attention for the DVD release and all that later because you get, just get more press if the movie is released theatrically and all that and you can gain, uh, kind of more attention. But in the end, I think the main life the film will have is on DVD and, uh, probably through internet and all these different channels. I hope so. I mean, a lot of people this week have been, as far as social media goes, I'm really championing the film and that that's been really cool to see. Um, so, so well, what's next, what's next for you, do, for you now? Do you have a few projects you're working on? Um, uh, yes, I have, talk uh, about? <laughs> uh, yeah, a little bit. Uh, I have uh, two projects. Um, uh, one is set in a religious community. It's a, a story of a brother and a sister who they kind of, uh, drift apart and the brother tries to save his sister from the, uh, the leader of the cult and um, it's a story we want to shoot in English and we are at the moment uh, working on the cast and the packaging and 
I hope uh, I can shoot next year, but we have to see. So, and I'm working also. I have another project, but I'm sure that it will take a while. Um, it's a children's movie, uh, a real children's movie, <laughs> <laughs> um, which uh, it will be uh, an animated feature that I'm writing uh, with the co-writer uh, and the producer here in Germany. And we also want to set that up internationally and are now starting to get funding to do a kind of a, a teaser to get, uh, yeah, to start really getting the budget. That's mm. really interesting because it's something completely different to what I've done before and also to, for a very different audience. And um, I think it's very interesting to do something for the, the real like family entertainment market but make it interesting and appealing for adults at the same time. And yeah, let's see how, how all that goes. And I'm, and at the moment I'm writing in all kinds of different uh, stories from crime to uh, comedy, uh, just because I'm really interested in doing something else next and continuing, uh, my style and yeah. all these things. So, but also, yeah, I also think it's important, you know, because in Germany, most, um, most things get made for TV. So if you want to make a living in Germany, you uh, normally also work for TV. So I'm pitching something for TV okay. in Germany as well. Yeah. So you're, you're, you, you want to challenge yourself in just trying a bunch of, of different things, not really keeping yourself into one wheelhouse, which I, which I think is great. Um, yeah. I mean, of course, I have my passion project. Yeah. And I think my, 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 yeah, my goal would be to follow up. You know, it's not like... Der Bunker is like that's the that's the one style I'm doing, but I think there are a lot of elements, this mixture of of humor, mm -hmm. uh, bit bizarre, um, edgy, uh, slightly dark, and, and and that's things I'm interested in in topics, and I would like to develop that, but you know, make it on a bigger scale, and um, I think the um, yeah, and make an international project. That would be what I'd really like to do, you know, to to shoot an AB because it's also better for for the distribution, you know. And, uh, yeah, just to challenge myself, you know, yeah. get out of the bunker next time. Yeah. Yep. <laughs> <laughs> the uh, the the religious one that you have that you're working on with the, yeah. these these kids sounds sounds interesting. I I grew up in a pretty strict religious family, so I'm, oh. I'm always like every time I hear that, I kind of like turn my head and like well, let's talk about this a little more. Okay, <laughs> but is, is that was that a, a Christian? It was a, family, yeah, I yeah. Ask, or, yeah yeah yeah. No. So um. <clears throat> with this, so this film, like if it's uh deals with the cult or whatever, I mean, mm -hmm. um, is would this be something you'd be drawing from something in your in your region that you'd read about or anything like that, or do you, or is it more kind of a something that could appeal to more, I, I, not appeal, but um, that draws from experiences of of people all over the world, like what, yeah, what kind um, of sparked that that idea, yeah, um. I the I did a lot of research into all kind of different communities. Mm -hmm. uh, so I went. We went to uh, at the time I was working with a writer, and together we. I mean, we went to, to the Hare Krishnas. We went to Christian. How do you call them? Evangelical. Mm -hmm. We did a Zen meditation. We went to Scientology. Uh, and we, we, we. I mean, we read all these kind of things about uh, Jonestown and the Solar Temple and Heaven's Gate and all these different kind of suicide uh, uh, cults. And I thought it was really fascinating what people find in religious communities like this. And um, of course, you always from the outside you kind of see them as evil, but 
uh, I think there's often also kind of good things, at least for the people, or at least in the beginning, sometimes they come from a good spirit and then they turn into something bad because the leaders abuse their power or for whatever reasons they got get corrupted. And I think that is very fascinating. And uh, I also went to a UFO community that was also interesting, you know, where the, uh, the they're called the Raelians and uh, the leader was abducted by aliens and, um, and where he, I, I don't know, I think he slept with clone women from all kinds of different planets. So there's so, so many absurd stories, but right. people turn to it and believe it and make this their ideology, that which I find very fascinating. But um, I do, didn't want to choose like one community and uh, but I, I started to to build like let's say an own community that is uh, okay. reflects the the biography of its leader because I found you know if you look at all these different communities and you see that they have very many uh, they share many uh, structural elements like you know that they are the one they give you the one knowledge the focus of on one leader and all this the outside world is wrong and all these things so i thought it just would be interesting to build something that is a bit more abstract but uh has all these elements that right. the other cults have and right. my cult is set on a greek island now it's it developed over time but i'm half greek and I, I really liked it that they're kind of isolated on this greek island that has a lot of mystery and the, the leader of the cult is the um, son of the Greek father, of the German uh, father and a Greek mother, and he has kind of constructed a crude mythology that's a mixture of German, you know, Richard Wagner style um, myth, and then the Greek legends, and that's kind of what he's uh, giving his uh, followers nice. <laughs> as All the right. way to salvation. So yeah, that's uh, I think it could be pretty interesting and a nice setting. Yeah, uh, that's fantastic. Yeah. Brad, did you have anything else you want to ask? No, I just got a boner from the cult. Story. <laughs> that great. I mean, yeah, yeah, I just need the money, and then I get. Let's go. Let's do it. All right. <laughs> People that are listening, have money, do it because exactly. anybody knows about my fascination with the cult films, and uh, yeah. you know where I stand on that. <laughs> Keep it coming. <laughs> yeah. Well, we appreciate you coming on the show, and I. I really Thank hope. You. I think I think art exploitation is making a name for themselves. With you know, um, you know, it, 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 they took a little hiatus there, and, and now they're back. Mm -hmm. And you know, the yeah. first few films they had, you know, Dear Samurai, Horsehead, The Treatment, um, you know, Cub, and, and now their Bunker. They had a couple others here and there, but I, I really think that their line of uh, cinema is, is is fitting, even with your film going into their catalog. Definitely, um, yeah. They're definitely, uh, you know, they're showing a different side of cinema, w w which I enjoy. And, you know, you know that you're going to see something different um, yeah. when you pick up one of their titles and not your normal, you know, run of the mill slasher flick or horror flick or, you know, even a comedy. It's going to be something a little bit different, you know, and none mm -hmm. of their films go hand in hand. That's what I like about it. You know, it's yeah. everything's brand new. So, um Hopefully, uh, you know, with the trust that uh, our exploitation is building, and especially with something like this, this is, uh, you know, uh, very special. I think you're on the right, uh, you know, the right distributor over here too. I, I, I think I think our exploitation has made a name for themselves, and you know, build a trusting name at least. So, yeah. uh, hopefully, Ooh, yeah, everybody I'm, checks I'm out I'm the happy, bunker. Yeah. Thank you. Yeah, thank you so much for for talking with us about about this. Um, 
everyone, you can go to grindhousevideo.com right now and order Dirt Bunker from <laughs> them. Um, and uh, please check it out. We love this film, and uh, we encourage you guys to support it, support our support Archploitation, uh, and uh, of course, um, Nikios, uh support all of his upcoming films as well. Yeah. So, uh, look, look forward to what you're doing in the future. Sounds like some good stuff, and um, you know you're definitely uh, you're, you're on our radar. <laughs> that is good to hear. And yeah, thank you so much for the invitation. No, no pressure for the future projects, by the way. <laughs> okay, no, not at all. a strong, strong feature <laughs> debut, and um, we really do wish you all the best. Great, thank you, guys. Take care. All the best from here. All right. Thanks. Have a good day. Thanks. Or Bye. good evening. Right? Is it evening yeah, over there? Exactly. Yeah. It's almost uh, <laughs> 10 here in Berlin. Okay. Fantastic. Bye-bye. Thanks again. Bye. Ciao. Bye. All right. So, uh, like we said in the interview, uh, pick up. Dirt Bunker, out right now on Arsploitation. It's out on Blu-ray and DVD. I would suggest just grab the Blu-ray, because you should be buying Blu-rays and not DVDs. It is 2016. Oh my Get God. with the times, motherfuckers. Jesus Christ. <laughs> um, yeah. So you can get it through grindhousevideo.com. Make sure you give, uh, give Mike some love over there. Um, other sponsors, make sure you check them out. Go to thescreamcast.com slash sponsors. We're going to be doing a giveaway for Coffee Shop of Horrors very soon. I have some samples here to give away. I got their Bubba Spiced Bourbon, their Zombia Double A, and their White Russian samples. Oh my god, it smells so good. Uh, go to coffeeshopofhorrors.com. Buy some coffee, use the code SCREAMCAST, and you get 10% off your order. Um, also, make sure you're checking out Vinegar Syndrome's releases. Their September um, pack is up. You can get 40% off if you order now. I keep saying we're going to be doing one. Uh, are, are we going to shoot for next week, Brad, for Vinegar um, Syndrome show? We are in talks with Vinegar Syndrome to come on the show to talk about their we may just have to do a super epic combined August and September stuff. Yes. Or the so July like, and August stuff. I think that's going to happen, so we might wait a couple weeks. Okay. So we will see, but something is definitely on the horizon. Yeah, because I'm like, we haven't done our, uh, our, our July pack, and then the August pack just came out. And, uh, so we gotta, we gotta do a, a super duper, super duper episode. Uh, we wanna thank Wolfman of Mars for providing the music. Who's Check them super out. super duper anymore? <laughs> I do. Cause I I'm super duper on the show. Cause actually. I'm a boob. Something. Uh, Wolfman Check out all the music. They have a new album that just came out and it's super awesome. I played a little bit of love, uh, a little bit of it last week. Uh, also Kevin Spencer for providing all the artwork for the show. And last but not least, Horror Pack. You can use a link on our site to get three bucks off of your order. So go to thescreamcast.com slash sponsors. Check all that out. And uh, also, oh, Exploitation TV. Uh, if you're not signed up with them, make sure you sign up with them. Ton of good yeah. stuff right there on your, on your TV through their app. All right. Well, that's going to do it for this week's show. You can, of course, find all of our social media links over at thescreamcast.com. Check out our YouTube page. 
through the link, if I get at least 50 subscribers, I can finally choose the link instead of it being like youtube.com slash xy01 whatever bullshit. Uh, I can actually name it like the Screamcast, whatever. Someone already has the Screamcast. God damn it. But, um, make sure you subscribe there. You'll get some bonus, uh, video stuff from us. And, uh, of course, uh, if you want to donate to the site, you can donate through PayPal on our link. Uh, go to screamcast.com slash donate. Patreon is in the works. I just need to figure out how to make that thing work, how to, how to make it work for all, for us, um, and our crazy schedules. Cause I want to be able to supply some sort of perks and do all that. Uh, also we do have a store. We have some products. We do have, a, we have mugs, uh, and shit. I'm going to try to update that to, um, get some, uh, so we got stickers and buttons. I need to get posted there. So if you want to buy some swag, you can, uh, through there. So big thank you to, um, listener who recently bought a mug. And of course I'm a, I'm a jerk and I don't have it right in front of me. Hold on. It was Morgan. Um, Morgan. Yes. Morgan, Morgan, Morgan. I drawn a blank on the last name. Morgan Jones. Morgan Jones. Beelzebub, bless you, my friend. Is that saying God bless you? Can you say that? (laughs) I don't. I guess so. You can Uh, say anything you want. All right. That's going to do it for this week's show. We know. Thank thank all of you guys for listening. Really, we really appreciate all the support. Uh, All the, you know, those of you that talk to us back and forth on Twitter, we love it. Love uh, interacting with you guys every day. Uh, if you haven't done it yet, uh, if you haven't, you know, talk back, talk back at us, you know, on Twitter and shit as you're listening to the show, um, throw stuff out. That's always fun when I see that people are listening and we can actually have a conversation as you're listening to the show through Twitter. That'd be awesome. Uh, it's the, no, it's wait. Yeah. God damn. What's our Twitter? I'm having a brain blank. Uh, scream underscore scream cast. underscore cast. All right. We're out. Talk to you guys later. <laughs> <laughs> oh, don't tell me you're leaving. The party's just begun. All right. I suck at closing a show. No. <laughs> Fuck off. <laughs> <laughs>